You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Mom Halo Podcast. I'm your host, Alana K. Fitz, and I'm super excited uh, to have in our studio today, Aaron Pepler. (laughs) It's nice to be here with you. Welcome. Um, Aaron. why do you walk us through who you are and what you do, where you're from? Kick it off. All right. So I am a writer. I am also a mom of two. I've got a son who just turned 10 and a daughter who's about to turn 12. I have a book called Send Me Into the Woods Alone, Essays on Motherhood. And I write for a lot of magazines. So you might know me from, from the internet. I love it. And uh, in your writings, in your life right now, what's like the biggest topic you're seeing? What are really parenting folks, caregivers, moms talking about these days? I've seen kind of like a snowball effect. So some of it is stuff I've seen people talk about for a few years, but now it's become really, really big and a little more mainstream, maybe for lack of a better term. So a few years ago, I think it was 2018, um, I wrote an article called The Invisible Workload of Motherhood is Killing Me. And it went huge at the time because I feel like it was something people aren't talking about. And now a lot of people are talking about that, like invisible workload and that mental and emotional workload um, and default parenting and all of those things that are so important. And there are some content creators who are doing a really, really good job of spreading that message. And I think it's making moms feel really seen and really validated. So some of the things I've been talking about, I've seen blow up in the last few years, and it's been really nice to see the conversations kind of evolve, I guess. But that would be one of the big ones. Yeah. Just take break it down for some of our listeners who may be new moms and weren't around when you wrote the article. What is Mm -hmm. this, this invisible load? Talk, talk about it. Yeah. So the invisible workload is that little ticker that's always going in your brain where you're like, Hey, do my kids shoes still fit? Like, do we have milk? Um, did I sign that form for school or for preschool or whatever? Do they need to go back to the doctor and get a shot? Like, Oh, Hey, like, did I tell my husband that thing? Um, did I answer that email? And did I remember to like shower myself today and like do all the basics for myself as well? So it's not the the things you see people do and the things that you see moms doing where it's like, you see a diaper change, you see that their kids are, um, you know, you're taking them to school in the morning, whatever, but you don't see that constant mental and emotional load of like, are they being bullied? Do I need to talk to the teacher? Cause I'm worried about like this conversation that I heard about in class or that they're not thriving or that they're anxious about this thing or just the little things of, I always talk about, um, my husband is so hands-on. He's so great with our kids. He's a really involved dad. He's not someone to sit on a couch. Like he's the least, the least slacker of a guy you can imagine. Um, and yet if I was like, you know, a couple of years ago, my kids were younger. If I'd said like, what shoe size do they wear? I don't think he knew <laughs> because I was the one going like those pants look a little short. I'm going to buy them new pants. So it's, it's all of that stuff that just keeps the household running and keeps your family like healthy and happy. And at least, or if not that, at least functional. <laughs> Right. And the idea is that it's this invisible load is killing us. Yeah. Talk to us about the killing us part. Cause that I think is like really the part that people yeah. can, can sort of um, perk their ears up to. 
for sure. It's well, the thing that it just feels so overwhelming sometimes, like you can feel like you're drowning because if you're trying to, whether you work outside the home or not, um, cause we all know like every mom is a working mom, like whether you are at home taking care of your family or working outside the home, you are working nonstop. Um, but there is this feeling of, your brain never shutting off. And a lot of the time it's about everybody else's needs and not your own. And so that can be really overwhelming and really exhausting. And so I found it really hard to shut my brain off because I was lying in bed at night going, here's the thing I have to do. And it's like that to-do list that never ends. And so we all have one. Some of ours are a little bigger than others. Some of us have more support with our to-do lists than others, but everybody has that mental load. And then you pile on the emotional load where it's like, if there's anything to do with your kids that you're feeling emotional about, like their stress, their problems, their health, whether it's mental health or physical health, like, you know, this is a huge, huge toll on parents. And so you're trying to keep everybody's shit together. You're trying to keep your own shit together. And uh, whether you're successful or not, it's a lot. It's a lot to manage. It is a lot to manage. So what are some of the strategies that somebody's, if Aaron Pepler, you see her in like a million bylines and every major like, <laughs> publication about this topic, what are some of the strategies if I were to sort of type in like, um, you know, maternal mental load, like help, like what are people doing to manage this? I think the biggest thing, and this is easier said than done for some people, but the biggest thing is community um, and partnership, right? Like I'm really fortunate that my husband is awesome. I for sure had to nudge him in the right, right direction a couple of times to be like, you know, instead of telling me that the kids need new boots, like you can consider just getting them new boots and saying, hey, I ordered them new boots. I took them out and got them new winter boots. Like you don't have to tell me just because you're used to me kind of organizing that kind of stuff. So yeah, I had conversations with my partner about like, you know, you're really awesome, but also you're really awesome when I delegate things to you. And it would be great if I had to delegate less because, you know, you were taking the initiative to figure out some of this stuff on your own. Um, In a broader sense, I mean, community is massive. So having friends that you can call on is invaluable. I have women who live on my street who are good friends of mine and our kids go to school together and our kids are good friends. And I know that I can call them and say like, Hey, I have a meeting. Could you like, just make sure my kids get home from school safely? Or, you know, they've got a meeting and I say, we'll just send your kids over and I'll order a pizza or I'll cook them dinner. And just like knowing that there's somebody there that has your back that can help you out. Um, And sometimes it's not even like, the help so much as it is just the support. So it's a combination of like, what can I do to lighten your load? And we're going to do this for each other because that's what community is. And also just being somebody that you can say like, hey, my life was an absolute mess today and I feel like a terrible mom and I feel like I'm failing and I haven't even washed my hair and everything's a disaster. And having them acknowledge that and help you feel a little bit less crazy and a little less abnormal. Like to know that like everybody has those days and it's really typical I love that. I think for me, that's like sort of the impetus of what I think we're trying to do here at the Mom Halo and why we're so aligned, Erin, in sort of your work and sort of your mission. Um, So I think it's so interesting that like, even in like a neighborhood, like in a, in a rural community, in an urban community, like Mm -hmm. I find this sort of a camaraderie of women where we are, we have each other's back to sort of lighten the load, whether or not it's farming off kids to a neighbor or picking up someone else's kids from school. What is that about? Why do we just do that? Like, why are we like, even though we have our own, um, you know, sort of um, invisible workload, how come women are so, I mean, typically parenting folks who are identified as women um, Mm -hmm. are so good at sort of just recognizing when another mama bear needs a little bit of relief. What's that about? 
Uh, it's it's tricky because I think in some communities it happens more organically than others. Like we are conditioned, I think, as women, like you said, as people who identify as women, like we were conditioned to do it all and do it all kind of effortlessly and look good while doing it and just kind of get everything done and not complain. And that is kind of, you know, when women went back to the workforce, like, you know, decades decades ago, it was like, they didn't start parenting less. They just worked and parented. And that's what we do now. So there is this kind of, like, it's almost like we've been conditioned to not ask for help because we're supposed to be just doing it and doing a really good job. But if you get to the core of it, women want to help each other and moms and parents want to help each other. So if you can find the right people and have the right conversations, I find more often than not, people are more than willing to step up and say, hey, like, you know, I heard your kids are sick. Do you need me to grab Advil at Shoppers or can I drop off soup for you guys? And then like, say, they'll say also like, I've got that meeting. Can I drop my kids off to you? And that back and forth becomes really natural and you don't feel awkward asking and you don't feel awkward receiving because it becomes a part of your everyday life. And it, it doesn't happen magically, but if you can build that community, it does become a thing that's very normal to just like trade off and help each other. Yeah, and that's invaluable. It's invaluable. And I think that's what makes the neighborhood special, right? Like, you know, yeah. it's the Sesame streets of the world where you do have really a community of people who rally around helping one another, which is amazing. For uh, sure. I love that so much. So in your sort of expertise, parenting, like the invisible workload is taking center stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of our content creator friends are doing such an amazing job. And it seems to me like the entire, I want to see like, um, uh, theory, theoretical, uh, uh, scholastic academia, uh, cultural norms around sort of matrescence is becoming like more center stage, but why is it, why is it taking so long for us to talk about our reality? Like we know so much about adolescence and about teenage angst. We know so much about postpartum. I mean, at perinatal menopause and menopause in general, we know so much about like you know, sort of the gentleman's midlife crisis, but matrescence, this entire, you know, becoming a mother, being a mother is such like, still like, it's like de jour, but not really. Like it's still such a slow go. Why is that? I really do think it is just that when a man becomes a father, it's looked at as this big life change, but women are viewed as like, you know, ultimately we will become mothers. That's our destiny. That's what we're supposed to do and we will do it well. And it will be very natural for us. And I'm not at all saying that's like right, or it should be that way. But I do think that is a big part of how society views parents is like, of course, like, you know, like you're going to be a mom, it would be deviant to not have kids, right? Like if you don't have kids, people are like, why don't you have kids? They want to know, could you not have kids? Did you want to have kids? And if you don't want kids, what's wrong with you? And who's going to take care of you when you're old? So women are really set up to be caregivers, like from a very young age. So I don't think it's, we're not set up to receive support because we're not supposed to need it. You know what I mean? So for men are set up a lot differently where it's like, of course, this is huge life change, like becoming a father and they will, it will be assumed that they'll have the support of their female partner too. Right. And so they're treated very, very differently. Like they've got this built-in helper or leader in their spouse or their partner. Um, And with women, they're expected to take the lead and know what they're doing. So if that's the expectation we have, nobody's jumping to support women because it's just not, we're not set up to feel that they need it or deserve it in whatever way. Bang, Aaron, you hit it right on that. I also, I also been thinking a lot about this that I think it's just like 
a feminist paradigm where the yeah. discourse is just it's a feminist struggle. Like I'm sorry, we're just it's second class citizenship. It's yes. It's, it's, it's a patriarchy, right? And it, like, we feel like maybe this is like smash the patriarchy. And even in Canada, like we're so progressive and we have, you know, public health care, universal health care. We have um, an 18 month mat leave, but like people fought for that stuff. That doesn't just like happen. We, mm-hmm. you know, and it usually comes from something. And, you know, you're talking about like a kiddo not feeling well. We're just recording this sort of early December of 2022. And there's a Tylenol apple shortage right now in this, in this country, in this province. Um, and it's been a really like state of complete emergency, but I've never seen more parents want to like be part of this, like sort of underground drug smuggling of Tylenol oh, from the state no. or yeah. people sending DMs about anyone who might need not asking for money, just leave it on the porch. You need like a, a half a bottle, like what an amazing thing to sort of be a part of. Um, and I really do think that like, it is, you know, inch by inch, but we are seeing a move toward, um, sort of maternal mental health, maternal matrescence taking center stage. And I'm, I'm happy to be here for it, you know, and to be part of that motherhood journey and let that be our legacy as this sort of generation. What do you think? Oh, I hope so. I mean, like you said, I don't know when people are going to hear this, but as of right now, like early December, 2022, um, I just interviewed a bunch of pediatricians for an article I did for today's parent and McMaster Children's Hospital in Hamilton is at 154% capacity, which is an all-time high. Um, They used to admit an average of like 7% of the kids that came through the emergency room. They're admitting about 20% of them right now. Um, They're moving teenagers to Uh, adult hospitals because they can't care for them in the pediatric hospitals because there's no beds, there's no nurses, they're out of cribs. Like it's a genuine crisis. And in the middle of all of this, there's like a shortage on like Tylenol and Advil. So yeah, every group chat I'm in is mom saying, Hey, I saw Advil at this place. Hey, I picked up Advil here. Here I got Tylenol. And it's like, you struck gold, but people aren't getting it and hoarding it. They're getting it and sharing it. And it's really, really a good feeling to know that people are like inherently good and trying to help one another yeah. um, especially the last couple of years where like, I've had a lot of moments where I have doubted the inherent goodness and kindness of people, to be honest. So, and that ability to put community above like your individual self, like that's something to me is like, I try to think of community good versus like my own good or just the good of my household. Um, and it's hard when you see, that not being maybe as widespread as you'd like. So kind of even in this little microcosm of the Tylenol shortage, it's a regaining my faith in humanity a little bit. Well, that's but. it. It's it's really, you took the words out of my mouth. It is a, it's a, it's a, um, a refresh in the faith of humanity when we were right before COVID. It's the complete opposite. We, we were in the sharing economy, right? People were living each other's beds. People were driving each other around in the backseat of their cars. In the mm-hmm. States, you know, there's companies like Josefina where people were, making home cooked meals that you could buy and pick up on a doorstep, right? We were really the complete opposite of COVID, which is like community, humanity, share, share, share. What's yours is mine. Um, and really believing in the trust of just like the, the ethos of, of strangers and COVID really turned us on this head. We're like, I think we're slowly coming out of it. So in terms of, let's just talk about COVID for a minute as we're coming out of sort of the COVID lifestyle, I'm using air quotes. What, yeah. what did COVID do to, to maternal mental health and motherhood, in your opinion? Bad and ugly. I mean, I think it did so many different things to different people. For me personally, um, it there was some really great things that came out of it, which I hate to be the silver linings person because it's like not everything needs a silver lining, but it was 
a great like that sense of community and really finding like who your core community is and really people helping each other out and that was great um obviously it was a devastating thing that happened like people got really sick we know people who died of covid like it's not like it's we're removed from it um I also like I have a child with an autoimmune condition, so I was very, very cautious throughout. And I think one of the biggest disappointments I had was people being so, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but like if it doesn't, you know, when it doesn't affect them, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it goes beyond selfish, though, because it's beyond selfish to just like that real individualism where it's like, well, you know, if you're worried about your kid getting sick, then stay home. And it's not the sense of like, let's make the community safe so that seniors and children and people with medical conditions um, and disabilities can be a part of society because we can do that. It was that like, if you have a problem, you stay home because I'm not changing my life for you. And I'm like, that was very disheartening. And I saw that on a societal scale and to some extent on a personal scale. And so that was the hardest part for me, aside from the obvious of like people were getting very sick and it was awful. Um, but like on a personal level, it was the going, oh, not everyone is willing to think like I'm going to make this small sacrifice because it will help a lot of people because if it doesn't affect them, it was it was not what they were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What did you experience? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think for me, I was like very um, deeply in the trenches of like, okay, this is like a temporary thing. Like it took me mm-hmm. a long time to get to the point where like, oh, this is like a global issue in our backyard um, in which there was no escaping. And I think for me, it was like the silver lining, I think was like my husband, to be honest, like saw what it's like to be with all my kids all of the time. Um, yeah. And that was sort of, I have video of him early on and I made a TikTok really early on being like, welcome to the club. Like he's has two kids in each hand and he's trying to stir a pot, right? Like that's, yeah, that's yeah. a lot for me. Right. So he's getting sort of a taste of it all. And I do find like, even though there was terrible times that were super depressing and isolating and lonely, we really got some like quality family time where my spouse, like, like, I don't know, had to put on like a big pair of daddy underwear and like really mm-hmm. show up as a, a father. And he's like super now probably well-equipped to handle our family more than he ever has been because he was here for, you know, all of it with me, um, sort of in the trenches. So I don't know. I think it was sort of, um, a moment where like a new appreciation for like teachers and like people who with our kids and like healthcare systems and like really everyone was there for the doctors and the nurses and putting out their little, you know, um, glowing hearts and stuff like that. So it was, it was nice to see those sorts of things. Me personally, I was living at sick kids with my kiddo. So I was like in the trenches on ground zero of like, hospitals where it was kind of a nice time to be in the hospital because like it was so empty and people were really staying home and they were super duper strict at the time it was kind of lonely because like I couldn't be with my husband but at the same time I made hundreds of nursing friends and stuff like that so retrospectively there's certain things of COVID that I kind of miss but in terms of maternal mental health I think like it had a moment I think mental health had a moment and it was sort of this elephant in the room that was sort of dusted under the rug and now it's taking center stage what do you think? Well, it's funny because it's like a double-edged sword. So, I mean, the one thing you just said about your husband, like what rings true for me is that 
Um, like my husband's always been great, but he's also always been a commuter. And so he's never done the morning routine or anything because he was gone. Like he was, it wasn't like, it was like he was refusing to do it. He got up early and he left our house and went to work in another city. And so, and I work from home, I'm a freelancer. So I always took the kids to school, but I also work late at night a lot of the time because I'm a writer and because I balance my days with the kids. So I would stay up late working and then just get up really early with my kids and be exhausted. So because my husband's work, um, it shut down in the sense of like his job was never in jeopardy, but he started working from home full time um, because he has an administrative job like where he can work from anywhere. He now does the morning routine with our kids because he doesn't have to leave and he's a morning person. So he would have done this all along. He didn't have the opportunity. So COVID gave him the opportunity to be the morning parent. And it's like, I, you know, get up and kiss the kids goodbye and they leave for school, but I'm not like, I have no responsibilities in the morning now. Whereas for the first like eight, nine years of me parenting, I was the primary parent getting them out the door and doing all those like battles in the morning. Now that's all on him. I do laugh because my kids are older and we always joke about how he's getting the responsibility now that the kids are super easy and independent. <laughs> but um, back to what you were saying, I'm like, oh, I'm losing my train of thought. We're talking about a double talking edge about the, the elephant in the room of uh, that is maternal, like our mental health in general and how it's sort of, oh, yes. the good okay. thing is that the cobwebs were cleared of this huge topic that people were sort of silently oh. suffering, even though it created more mental health issues. It did bring to light the fact that mental health is like, not this, like, you know, it's not your like ugly stepsister living in the basement. It's like something. Yes, absolutely. So what I started to say about it being a double-edged sword was like, so we've always been big on talking about mental health in our family. We're very much like, if you're going to therapy, you can talk about it. You can just say like, Oh, I'm going to therapy now. It's nothing. Uh, you know, there's a stigma around like therapy or mental health in our household. Um, the thing that I have found a little difficult is that while it's so good, we're talking more about mental health and there's that stigma is kind of going away a little bit and people are really talking about, you know, the effects of isolation and the effects of having a disability and having to worry about your health and safety. Um, and just like, uh, all, uh, like even just like the financial stress, all the people who lost their jobs, so many different facets of what can impact your mental health came to light. In addition to just being somebody who suffers from mental illness, like that's a thing where it, there just need to be a reason always. Like, you know, some of us are just anxious or some of us just have these issues we deal with. But then I would deal with the other side where, um, for example, I'm worried about my child with an autoimmune condition. So I'm, you know, still masking uh, a lot of the time. And I was one of those people who masked pretty frequently. Um, if I, you know, went to a concert over the summer, if it was indoors, I was wearing a mask for sure. I would pop it on to go into the grocery store still. And a lot of this anti-mask rhetoric was around like, well, it's bad for kids' mental health and it's bad for them to be like going to school masked up. And I would go, well, you know, that mask is keeping my kid physically healthy. And it was pretty bad for his mental health when he was extremely sick with COVID because he got it the week that masks came off in schools. He got it, the it was like six days later, he got incredibly sick. Um, and I'm so like, I'm like, don't tell me it's bad for his mental health to wear one when I'm watching him suffer because he's being exposed to more germs now. So it's not like I want them to stay around forever. Like I, I'm going to be just as thrilled as the next guy when we're not masking all the time, like when this is over. But I was also like, it needs to happen when it's, appropriate for it to happen when we can still keep kids safe. We can't use mental health as a reason to threaten kids' physical health or teachers' physical health or anybody's physical health. So that I found difficult to find the balance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I really think it's amazing. It's like, when I think about all the people who are jerks, like jerk offs, like that's what I'm hearing. He's like, those jerks, um, 
who like yeah. couldn't get on board with like, you know, doing what's good for everybody. Um, to me, that was like super duper problematic in so many ways. And what I yeah. saw is sort of like this frat boy mentality of like being invincible and caring about nobody but themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, as far Man. as, see, <laughs> uh, you know, especially like a very, very, very much like this, the, the, the impetus of like douchebaggery for back yeah. of lack of a better word. Um, and that was a really like sore spot in our, in our like life and in our history. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the, the anti-mask, uh, rhetoric for me as well was super, challenging um and it was also super hard for us to keep our kiddos you know healthy he had rsv that first year directly after getting discharged six weeks later from sick kids after being there for four yeah. and a half months we were right back there for 10 days um so it was a really fucked up time i mean 100 but but i but i do think just the one silver lining that came out of it was really just the center stage of um of mental health and that it is something that we can talk about so um, yeah i completely agree I just, I don't want it to be weaponized against people. I think that's, I think that's like what it comes down to is right. it's so important. I will talk about mental health openly forever. And I think it's critically important to everybody. Um, but I, it's never okay to use it as a way to make other people's lives difficult. Oh yeah. 100%. Um, okay. So, so you're a published author. You have a lot going on right now. You're writing a ton. What is one thing that you really want people to hear today? If they hear nothing else in our conversation. <laughs> well, maybe because we've had kind of a more serious conversation. I think like if you if you were to read my book, we talk about a lot of this stuff too. But I do like to find the humor in motherhood and in parenting. So I don't want people who aren't familiar with my work to think um the book is this really heavy, heavy read because we do t- I like I say we, it's just me. I wrote it alone. Um <laughs> I do talk about a lot of heavy topics, but I think everything I do in my life and everything I've ever written, I try to come at with like a lens of like, there's something funny here. Um, so it is a, probably a lighter read than maybe this conversation. <laughs> Let me express because I, I tend to get serious really quickly when I'm talking to somebody about this stuff. But yes, yeah. as do I. I'm also guilty of becoming serious on these topics. But uh, no, I mean, let's talk about humor. Like why? Like why is it so important, friends, that we that we keep things light? Like share us a bit on that. Oh, I just think like you have to laugh about it because there's so much indignity in motherhood. Like it is the best thing I've ever done. My kids are my favorite people in the world. I wanted to be a mom my whole life and I have never for a second regret it. Like I just, it, but like there's that duality of like, it's my favorite thing, but it also is like, you know, I can look back and go, I talk in the book about how when I was really, really heavily pregnant with my son yeah. um, and I had hyperemesis gravidarum. So I was really sick and threw up violently my entire pregnancies, both, both right. of them. Yes. So I was so pregnant and I would puke so hard that I would pee my pants. And I just like, I talk about in the book of like, I thought everyone was having these beautiful pregnancies and they were just like these beautiful pregnant unicorns, like taking their maternity photos. And I would literally pee my pants in my apartment and be like, I don't even have private laundry. Like this is an apartment building. I don't even have my own laundry machine. Um, <laughs> And, but I wouldn't tell anybody because I'd be so embarrassed and be like, that, you know, like I'm the only pregnant woman who's ever like peed herself. And then when you talk to people, you go like, no, everybody has that thing where they're like, I feel like a dirt bag because I haven't showered. I just ate like, you know, like the leftovers on my kid's high chair tray. And that was my lunch. Like, you know, we all do these kind of pathetic little things to get by and it's so normal and you shouldn't feel bad about it. 100%. I love that so much. Well, uh, tell us again the name of your book, Erin, because I always mess it up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's called Send Me Into the Woods Alone, Essays on Motherhood. 
Right. And it's everywhere. It's in Indigo. It's in Barnes and Noble. It's at all of your favorite independent bookstores. And I hesitate to mention Jeff Bezos's website, but it's there too. That's all right. That's all right. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it is, we are moms and we do need to shop. So <laughs> from there. Um, I appreciate you so much, Erin. It's so great seeing you. We're going to put all of your social coordinates and the bug book link and everything in our show notes. Thank you everyone for listening. I feel like we just hit the tip of the iceberg with you today. And yes. uh, Thank you so much. It's so great to have you on our network. Really. We're super happy to have you here. Yeah. Thank you for having me and for all that you do. I'm happy to be a part of it. Okay. Bye everybody. Thanks listeners. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mom Halo podcast, I'd love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social, or leaving a really good rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Mom Halo. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time.